Well, there's plenty of opportunities in life, um, at least in my life, where I find myself in awkward situations. Um, uh, it happens daily in my life, actually, uh, usually of my own creating. Uh, but I love the story of a, uh, a lawyer who found himself in a very awkward place. In a trial, a southern small-town prosecuting attorney called his first witness. And his first witness was a grandmotherly elderly woman, and he brought her to the stand. He approached her and asked, Mrs. Jones, do you know me? She responded, why, yes, I do know you, Mr. Williams. I've known you since you were a boy, and frankly, you've been a big disappointment to me. You lie, you cheat on your wife, you manipulate people, and you talk about them behind their backs. You think that you're a big shot when you haven't the brains to realize you'll never amount to anything more than a two-bit paper pusher. Yes, I know you. Uh, so the lawyer was stunned, not knowing what else to do. He pointed across the room and asked, Mrs. Jones, do you know the defense attorney? She again replied, why, yes, I do. I've known Mr. Bradley since he was a youngster, too. He's lazy, bigoted, and he has a drinking problem. He's, he can't build a normal relationship with anyone, and his law practice is one of the worst in the entire state. Not to mention he cheated on his wife with three different women. One of them was your wife. Yes, I know him. Uh, the defense attorney nearly died. At this point, the judge wrapped his... Uh, his uh, thing, gavel, thank you, you guys are with me, his gavel on his desk and called the attorneys to himself and very quietly and whispered to them, if either of you idiots asked if she knows me, I will send you both to the electric chair now. So um, there can be awkward places and times in life, right? Um, that certainly is true uh, when we come to biblical things. Uh, the, uh, last week, we read a story from Matthew chapter 22, and we've been looking at some of these bigger picture themes of the Bible, trying to wrestle with some of these ideas, all under the umbrella of God uses them to bring um, us from graves of death to gardens, beautiful things out of our life. And, um, and so last week, as we were looking at the theme of uh, of uh, God's selection, uh, predestination, all those big words. We read a story from Matthew 22 really quickly, and then we moved on from there. And uh, there's a section in that story that has one of those awkward moments in it. And some astute uh, listener came up after church and said, uh, what about that guy, that, the guy that we're going to read about here in a second? What about that guy? I don't want to be that guy, all right? So how do I not be that guy? And so um, that got me thinking that as today as we think about our, our security and the way that God uses our security in him uh, to shape our life and to make it what he wants it to be and to uh, all the blessings we receive because of it, uh, I wanted to come back. So I know all of you have that memorized because we read it last week and you haven't forgotten a thing. But if you'll bear with me, I'm going to read this story again this week. And uh, so if you've got it all memorized, you can just check out. Out, uh, register for the ladies' banquet or whatever. Um, and, uh, but for those of you who don't, I'm going to read Matthew 22, verses 1 through 14 again. And uh, in doing so, I want to highlight three things out of this that I think speak into this idea of, of the security that we have in Christ. But also, there's a warning in that, that we ought not to take something for granted. And so, uh, let's begin there. I'm gonna, I want to have three little sections I want to read through here. The first is this. Uh, the story really begins with a king who wants to have a grand celebration for his son's wedding. Uh, the king's, a grand celebration for the king's son. And it begins in this way in Matthew 22, verses 1 through 3. And again, Jesus spoke to them, them being religious leaders in the uh, religious establishment. Uh, Jesus is just a few days away from being arrested, uh, 
tried, crucified, just some terrible things. And so he has lots of conversations with people in Jerusalem, those decision-making people, the crowds that are going to call for his crucifixion, all of these people. He, he tells these stories to, to stir them to think. And so Jesus spoke to them, again in parables. In the kingdom of heaven, he said, uh, may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. Again, picture this. You've seen the Disney movies of, of, the big, of the king who wants to find somebody to marry his son. So they have a big thing, a big banquet, a big party, right? Or you've also seen like in England when a, when a prince or princess gets married. It's a big to-do, right? Everybody turns up or turns out and uh, um, it's a big to-do. And so picture that. A king who has, wants to have a wedding feast for his son. It's a big ordeal. It's not just a one-day thing. It's oftentimes a multi-day event. Uh, big, big to-do. And he sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast. Um, these are not people who would randomly uh, and unknowing, un, uh, randomly be getting an invitation. I can't talk. He, uh, he would, these would be people who had already RSVP'd. People who had said, yeah, I'll be there. I know what's going to happen. Just let me know when it is for sure and I'll be there. All right? They'd already agreed to be a part of that. So that's the setting for this, okay? And that introduces this. Um, now, as we read the rest of this, one of the things that Jesus does with these stories is he oftentimes takes either biblical history, Old Testament history, or even current events of current responses of the Israelite people, especially the religious leaders, to God's desire to do things in the world through Christ. And so he oftentimes, if you were to read through the lenses of history or current events in Jesus' life, you will find these stories that have teeth that kind of bite a little bit. They've got some sting to them, and he's trying to do that because he's trying to prod them uh, and to get them to think. And so that grand celebration of a king's son leads to, number two, a gracious invitation to an unlikely sort. Um, I've never used that phrase before, an unlikely sort. Maybe that's British, but uh, as, the, uh, as they have their big weddings, maybe we use that. But I, I, it fit, and, it's, and I'm actually using that word dictionary, dictionary. Correct, correct by the dictionary, okay? And so let's move on because I'm just wandering here. Uh, Matthew 22, verse 3. Uh, so the big wedding is ready. It ends with this, but they would not come. So invitations are sent. Messengers are sent to, say, to all the people who say, hey, I'll be there, but then they wouldn't come. Does that sound a little bit like Israel? Uh, we've seen, we looked at the covenants a few weeks ago. They stand there at the mountain. God's given them the law. Says, hey, will you be my people? Yep, we'll keep the law. We'll be there. We'll do what you say. And that recurring habit, a pattern over the whole Old Testament um, history of people say, yeah, we'll do it. But then they don't do it. And so they don't come. It continues in verse 4. Again, he sent other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, and my fat calves. In other words, he ups the ante a little bit. He sends them back out. He says, this time I want you to describe all the food that I've prepared, right? All the cool things that you're going to get to eat and, and the grandeur of it, the beauty of it. And everything is ready. So come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention, and they went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and even killed them. And so this goes from complete disregard to complete um, anger and hatred and violence. Uh, so the scene gets very ugly, and as you would imagine, the king was angry. And he sent those troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their cities. Again, you read your Old Testament history. This is very common, uh, repeated theme throughout the story of the scriptures. God, the people say, yeah, we'll come. God sends prophets. God sends messengers um, all throughout history, the Old Testament history. And they ignore some of them, others of them. They treat them very shamefully. And 
in the case of Jesus, who was God's latest messenger, his greatest messenger, they are about to kill him. And so you see that pattern, right? So what does God do? He tells, he was angry, he sent his troops, they, he kind of deals with them, right? And if you read the ne- next 40 years of history in Israel, you know that Jerusalem will eventually be destroyed um, suddenly because of some of this stuff. And so they wouldn't come. And so the king has got a dilemma, right? He's dealt with those who rejected him, but he still has all this food. He has a wedding party he wants to throw for his son. And so he sends messengers out in verse 8. He said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those who invited were not worthy. So go, therefore, to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And so just get out there, find anybody you can get. I just need people in here. All right? So as those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad, all kinds of people, right? It wasn't just the uppity people. It was all kinds of people. And so the wedding hall was filled with guests. You have this gathering of an unlikely sort. You have a group of people that you would not expect to be gathered at the king's banquets. And again, that fits so well with the story of the Bible. Uh, that people that you would expect to be there, religious elite kind of people who say, yeah, we're, we're, we're on God's side, we're with God. They don't tend to show up when God moves. But it's those who tend to be on the down and outs. Um, the people that Jesus connected most with were people that you would not expect to be at the banquet. And you and I probably would fit into that, hopefully, as well. And so you have this gathering full of all kinds of people. And that leads us then to the third thing, uh, the third scene, which gets us to the question at hand, right? You have this awkward scene, right? You've got this beautiful thing. If the story stopped right there, this would just be a wonderful thing of how God found new people, right? In, in, In biblical history, the Jews rejected him for a while. They rejected Christ. And so where eventually does the gospel go? It goes to the Gentiles, and he finds receptive audiences, and, and his banquet house is full. And that would be a wonderful story. But the story doesn't stop there. You get this awkward little story of a man who has a glaring confrontation. Um, the king, excuse me, has a glaring confrontation with one who took grace for granted. You find this confrontation happening between a king and a man who, for whatever reason, is not dressed Uh, For the occasion, it says this in verse 11, but when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garments. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garments? And he was speechless. Now pause there. That verse has got a few interesting things in it. He came in, he looks around. It would, it, some commentators think that the king would have supplied everybody with garments. And these garments um, would have represented, if in the spiritual side of this, that maybe the righteousness of God's people or the righteousness of people who have been welcomed into the party. Um, but, or even if they didn't, weren't given wedding gift or wedding uh, attire when they came in, they at least would have gone home, put on their best clothes, cleaned themselves up, and made themselves the most presentable they can in honor of their king. That would just have been a customary thing to do in that culture. But this guy didn't. He didn't clean himself up. He didn't change. Nothing's different about him. And he stands out, apparently, because the king notices him. And so he says to him, friend, uh, Matthew, if you see that word friend, I think he uses that three times in Matthew's gospel. And it's the only gospel, the only time he uses it in the Bible. Um, but every time that word friend is used, it really means you're not really a friend. It's kind of a, a sarcastic word that means, I think it's the same thing Jesus says when Judas comes to betray him. Friend, you betray me with a kiss, right? It's that idea that you're not really a friend. And so that's the word he uses here. Friend, you're not really with me here. Uh, How did you get in here without a wedding garment? He's speechless. He's guilty. He knows it. He has nothing to say to defend himself. 
And then drastic things happened to him. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into outer darkness. In that place they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. And so that's pretty drastic. So best to dress up for the next uh, shindig you go to, right? And so um, let's that happen to you. And so what do we do with that? What do we do with that guy, that awkward guy who shows up at the end of Jesus' story? And I think if, as I read that, I think one of the things that we can draw from that is simply, if I was to summarize what I'm trying to say here today, would be simply this, that throughout the entirety of God's salvation story, you find that God's salvation is free for all people, just like the wedding guests. They, they weren't deserving of it. They, didn't need, they didn't, had no right to be there, but they were welcomed in by a gracious act. So through the entirety of God's salvation story, salvation is given free for all, but it is not therefore without standards or to be taken lightly. And this last guy illustrates that idea. And so there are two applications. In fact, to illustrate that, if you just look, uh, if you have a Bible open, if you're looking at Matthew 22, just go back to the verses just before Matthew 22 and Matthew 21. I know it says John 21 up there, but it's actually Matthew 21, verse 43. It says this, Jesus says to the same people, Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. You can see, what does God want and all the work he's doing? He wants people who have produced the fruit of righteousness or produced the fruits of salvation or produced the fruits of the Spirit. He wants to see that fruit grow in the lives of people who respond to his gracious gift of salvation. And so, this guy simply seems to represent a man who wasn't doing that. He wasn't bearing that fruit. And, and Jesus was constantly chastising uh, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, a lot of religious elites who thought they had it all together, but they were not bearing the fruit that God wanted them to bear. And so he says, that's going to be taken from you, and I'll give it to somebody who will bear the fruit, because I'll find people who will. And so there are two applications I want to draw. One is more, um, and as we look at this whole idea of how does God bring um, beauty and life from our graves and make us gardens, I think one of the things he does is he, he gives us the sense of security that we can trust him. But coupled with that in the Bible are these verses that tend to speak very highly of the security that we have in Christ. And they are rich and they are deep and they are all throughout Scripture but there are oftentimes there's other passages that tend to warn you, don't be the guy who gets all this incredible free things, these things that God has done for you that you could never do for yourself, but don't take them for granted. And so there's two things, two applications. One of them that fits in this category. There's a lot of scriptures that warn us and guide us in this. Uh, and we'll look, finish with the, the better ones, right? The happier news. But I want us to, to look at this one first. As those welcomed only by grace. Don't be careless. Consider the warnings of God. My encouragement to you today is this. As those welcomed only by grace, don't be careless. I think if I could take that guy's story and, and just summarize it, it's simply this. As, as people who are welcomed into God's family, God's story, God's working only by grace through faith. But don't be careless with that gift. Consider the warnings of God. You see, God gives all these warnings in Scripture to people who have been given a free gift that had nothing to do to earn it, but it's been given to them because God paid all the prices. You get to enjoy the blessings, but don't ever take that lightly. And so Paul in Romans chapter 11, 
um, takes a little paragraph here, and after a bigger, it's a much bigger theme, but um, he says this, and he kind of uses the same analogy here. But if some of the branches, and he, he talks about the work of God in, in the form of a tree, right? That the Jewish nation and all that God was doing in those covenants we talked about a few weeks ago, doing God's work through his people was like a tree. And it was a Jewish tree for a long, long time. And then eventually Jesus comes along, they reject him, and the Jews were always part of God's work and an invitation, but God took off a branch, cut off a branch that wasn't bearing fruit, and he grafted in the Gentiles, which is most of us, if not all of us. He grafted in another group of people who would bear fruit. And that's the story of the book of Acts, right? You've got Jews always welcomed, but the Gentiles are welcomed into something they'd never been welcomed into before. So this is what he's talking about. But if some of the branches were broken off, in other words, that Jewish branch, and you, although a wild olive shoot, in other words, you, we had nothing to our name to say we deserve to be there, but we were welcomed in, we were grafted in among the others, and we now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree. Listen to his words. Do not be arrogant toward the branches. You see, people enjoy the blessing of God ought to never approach and deal with that gift arrogantly. It should never be a place where I think, well, I'm a little better than them, and so I deserve it a little more than they do. That should never be a part of the Christian's mentality. Do not be arrogant towards those branches he goes on to say, if you are, remember it is not you who support the roots, but the root that supports you. In other words, you're doing nothing for Jesus, but Jesus is doing a lot for you. Then you will say, branches are broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. But why were they broken off? They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. In other words, don't take it lightly. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note the kindness and the severity of God, severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. So again, going back to our guy who's not dressed at the party right, don't be careless about the incredible gift and kindness that God shows in giving you salvation freely. And that, that stream, that thread runs throughout Scripture. 1 Corinthians 9, 27, Paul would say to us uh, after this context in which he's talking about Olympic athletes, right? And he uses that in the, as an example of how we should run our race for Christ. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Hebrews 10, 26, for if we keep going, keep on, if we... Sorry, for if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there is no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. Second Peter 2.20, Paul Peter is talking to a, a group of Christians who are caught up in some false teaching and, and are leading people away from Christ. He says this, For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness, not righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from it and that holy commandment delivered to them. John in Revelation 3, 6 says, It is those who conquer who will be clothed in Christ. And we don't conquer on our own. We never do that. We conquer through Christ and, and faith and faithfulness to Christ. Matthew 7, 21, Jesus warns us, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And finally, Jesus, going back to that um, 
agricultural, horticultural term. Uh, John 15, 6, if anyone does not abide in me as a branch, as a vine, he is thrown away like branches and withers. So again, that stream is, is there in Scripture, and it's simply a warning not to scare us and make us wonder if God loves us. We're going to get to that point and say God loves us, and his gift is sure, and his hands are strong. But there's a warning that those who receive this incredible free gift should never take that gift for granted, should never allow that to become a source of pride or arrogance where we look down on anyone else for that. We are all guests allowed into the party only by the gracious invitation of the Father of the King. And so we should heed that warning. We should hear that and listen to that and take that seriously when you read that in Scripture. But don't stop reading there because the story is bigger than that. So the second application I would leave you with is this. As God's guest of grace, he wants you to live in full joy and assurance. So don't doubt. I think there should be a so, a so in there, sorry. As God's gift, guest of grace, he wants you to live in full joy and assurance. So don't doubt. Consider the love of God. Those warnings are, are serious and they, they're, they're unsettling for us sometimes. But boy, please hear this part more than that. Because God calls us to hear this. We are all guests by grace. And he wants us to have joy. He wants us to have assurance. And so we should consider the love of God. For me in my life, and I think so many of us, there are times in our lives when we sense our unworthiness to be a part of God's party, God's work, God's kingdom. Uh, just live your life for a week and look back and think, ah, there's so many ups and downs and goods and bads and maybe more bads than goods. And it can be hard if the focus is on me to say, am I trying to perform my way into this? And that is not what I'm trying to say. I hope you don't hear any of that when we look at those warnings. You see, Scripture is full of encouragement for people who struggle with that. And I think that assurance comes not from placing the focus on ourselves. It comes as we focus on the giver of the gift, on the king, on God, on Christ, on his son. And so Scripture is full of encouragement to stop and understand the depth and the width and the height and the length of the love of God. 1 Peter 1.5 encourages us with this. According to his great mercy... He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. It is kept, held, locked up tight for you in heaven, who by God's power are being guarded through faith. There's just that little phrase, what does God ask of you? It's that faith and that faithfulness. It's that through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And so look at all of that thing, that protective security and assurance that God wants you to hold on to and to live from. That there is this gift given to you out of God's grace to you that is strong and broad and deep. And so he asks us a simple response of faith into that promise. Listen to these verses, though. I love what Jeremiah 31 verse 3 says. And if you were here a few weeks ago, we looked at this chapter in a book that's all about a lot of negative things, a lot of judgment talk, a lot of difficult things. The people have failed God miserably in Jeremiah's day. But hear God's heart even to them in that context. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. That's probably one of those verses you should strap to the ceiling of your bed. So every morning you wake up, the first thing you read is that God has loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, he is faithful to you this day. 
Zephaniah 3.17, and don't hurt yourself doing that. Maybe put it on your mirror or your bathroom. That might be a safer place to do it. Zephaniah 3.17, I love this verse. For the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty Savior. He will take delight in you with gladness, with his love. He will calm your fears. He will rejoice over you with faithful songs. Other translations say he will dance over you with faithful or joyful songs. Again, just meditating on that verse and just wherever you are insecure, wherever you are afraid. Again, the focus is not on you. The focus is on the one who bought you and brought you and will bring you into God's final work. You see, God has a great heart for you. He loves you. So consider his love for you. So my last few verses here are just to encouragement to say, okay, he has given a great gift out of a great love. He is a great king. He is a great God. So hold on. Hold on to him. Hold on to him in faith. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. And why should we hold on to him? Because he who promised it to you is faithful. That God is faithful. So hold on to him. Hold on to him. John 10, 28, our, our memory verse for this week. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. His hands are big. They are strong. They are sure. And so in him, there is no reason to doubt, to fear. There's reasons for joy and assurance when our lives are centered upon him. So continue in the grace of God. Note the little word if in Colossians 1. Just that little thing. God encourages us to stay focused, to not take it for granted. He has now reconciled in his body, in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. John eight thirty one. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And I love this last one, Colossians 1.29. Paul writes of his life, and if you read Paul's story, no one was more enthusiastic, energetic, gave more of his life to serve Jesus than I could find. And he simply says this, for this toil, for this I toil. In other words, he gives his effort to it, but where does that effort come from? It's not by him trying it in his own self. For this I toil, struggling with all of his energy that he powerfully works within me. That God is doing a work in Paul as he just looks to Christ, as he trusts Christ, as he follows him in faith. And God does this great work and, and brings assurance and joy and work and, and energy into his life. So my encouragement for you today is this, is to hold on to the one who holds you tight. He will not let you go. He will not give up quickly on you. But he asks you to not take that gift for granted, to heed those warnings to not be that guy who walks into the wedding banquet carelessly, but to walk with reverence and fear and, and amazement at the grace that was given to you that brought you to the Lord's good party. And so today I would encourage you to focus on this, that we are safe in the arms of Jesus. And so one of the ways that he brings beauty out of the graves to, of our life and grows gardens out of them is he holds us tight and he gives us assurance. He gives us hope. He gave his life for you. He desperately sought you long before you even knew he was calling your name. He is not willing to lose any of us. He is faithful and he holds on tightly to us. And he loves us so much that he is working and wooing and waiting and working in our life for our good and his glory. And so trust in that one who holds you tight. Would you pray with me, please?
our God and our Father, we thank you for your great faithfulness. We thank you that uh, when we are faithless, that you are faithful. And so, Father, sometimes our, our insecurities rear up when we, when we kind of focus on ourselves and we think that we're not probably measuring up to the greatness or we're casual or we're uh, just not taking this gift for the great treasure that it is. So, Father, today, lift our eyes away from ourselves and focus them on the king who has prepared a banquet for his people. And he invites all of us today to be a part, not a one that's not eligible. He invites us today. So, Father, would you call us to have hearts that uh, are soft, have hearts that are appreciative of the great gift that's been given to us. Hearts that would never respond with coldness or callousness or, um, or lack of concern. And so, Father, do a work in us today. And so we thank you for, for Christ's love for us. And we hold on to that today as well. And it's his name we pray. Amen.